Okay, well, let's get into the Word. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Um, Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at a bunch of verses. We're going to cover the first 17 verses. We won't be able to get real in-depth, but we'll kind of look at some big-picture stuff. Uh, I feel like... I feel like things may happen anytime, and uh, like I may actually faint. So uh, that's my disclaimer. The sermon might suck. It's not my fault. It's traveling 55 hours and living in the slums of Indonesia. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, the title of this message is Touched by Jesus. We'll read the first 17 verses and then get into it. It says in Matthew 8.1, And when Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and bowed down to him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded for a testimony to them. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, entreating him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering in great pain. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority and sold with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many shall come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness in that place where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. And when Jesus had come to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left and she arose and waited on him. And when evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. In order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice in your word this morning to see the picture of Jesus, our great and glorious King and Savior, and His power, His victory over sickness and over evil, these things that threaten our lives every day, Lord. Thank You that, Jesus, You are victorious over them, and You're demonstrating that in this text. I pray that our hearts would take great courage and encouragement from the text that is before us today. That all the things that threaten us as humanity, that we are often beset with sickness and evil and 
You're bigger than. You're bigger than our greatest threats. You're bigger than our biggest losses. You meet us in our deepest places of despair and our most secret places of hope. And surely this text tells us today that Jesus, you are good. So encourage us in your word today. Pray that our hearts would be lifted and thrilled with this truth and that we would be more fervent in our following after Jesus because of the word. Uh, We ask together, Lord, please help me to teach and preach. I feel uh, not good. So we just ask you to help me teach and preach just so that I won't be a distraction, but I would be a good help to your people and your purposes. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Matthew chapter 4, we have kind of a summary statement of the ministry of Jesus. It says this in Matthew 4. Jesus was going through all Galilee, that's what we're seeing right now in the book of Matthew, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So we have this summary of Jesus' ministry that involved proclamation and demonstration. It involved word and work. It involved discourse and deed. And we just finished up the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that has discourse, Jesus talking, his words, his principles, his truth, pronouncing, announcing, proclaiming this good news of the kingdom. There Jesus is dealing with truth and he's dealing about the way that we view God and how we think God views us and the way that we ought to view one another and the way that we ought to follow God and interact with each other. And Jesus was speaking to moral and ethic and the way the world is and the way the world ought to be in light of his coming kingdom. And now as the book transitions into chapter eight, we're seeing Jesus demonstrate, if you will, these truths. He's moving from mere proclamation into some real demonstration. He had been announcing that the kingdom had come, and now he's showing in some tangible, powerful ways that the kingdom had indeed come. And in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, we have nine different miracle stories with 10 miracles included there. And when we read this, I, I don't think we're surprised by the power of Jesus. We believe this to be the word of God. We believe this to be actual. We believe this to be historical. And I don't think we're very surprised that Jesus was able to touch a leper and he was healed. That Jesus was able to uh, make the centurion slave be better. That he even healed mother-in-laws. I don't think we're surprised by the... (laughs) Last service, my mother-in-law was in the front row, so I had to be careful of that one. I love her very much. I don't think we're surprised by the power of Jesus. Because this healing work that we see in this text and we'll see elsewhere is actually part of what Jesus has done for us and has brought to us through his death on the cross and his resurrection. Physical healing is part of the atonement. Healing is part of what Jesus is bringing to the world through the cross. We see this mentioned in verse 17 of our text. It said that this, those healings that Jesus had performed, were to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. This is from Isaiah 53 when he said, He himself, speaking about Jesus, took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. 
The cross of Jesus Christ is in some way a confrontation to sickness, disease, and death. After all, the cross is the confrontation to evil and sin, its power and its effects. And we realize that all sickness and disease and death ultimately comes from sin in the world, its power and its effects. So we would expect that through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where he's confronting evil and sin, their power and their effects, that that would in some way at some time touch what we experience so often, sickness, disease, death, and general unwellness. Jesus is demonstrating that in his bringing of his kingdom, there is healing in that as well. And there is coming a day where there will be ultimate healing. I think we look at this text and we're not surprised at the fact that Jesus does this and can do this. I do think that we are sometimes surprised at what Jesus doesn't do. I'm more surprised by the times that Jesus doesn't heal than when he does and his ability to heal. But we live in this interesting time of the in-between. There is coming a day where the effects of the cross will be ultimately pressed upon the whole world, where all things will be made brand new and all sickness and all death will be done away with forever. We remember and we look to Revelation 21 where it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. This is the future when God's kingdom comes to earth in fullness. And he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. But we live in the tension of the in-between. We live between this text that's in front of us in Matthew 8 and this text that's before us in Revelation 21 where the kingdom has come with Jesus' first coming and it is present, but it is coming in fullness and in its full effects at Jesus' second coming. So at his first coming, Jesus brought a taste of the reversal of sin, the undoing of evil and its effects. When Christ comes again, he will bring the full experience of the undoing of sin the confrontation of evil and all its effects. But this in-between time is a time of tension. The kingdom has already come, but it's not yet here in fullness. So we see this text where Jesus heals all these people and we're not surprised, but we experience oftentimes in our lives where we or loved ones are not healed and sometimes we're surprised. And we have to live in and we feel and we wrestle and we grope through the tension of the great in-between. We're not alone in that. The Apostle Paul wrestled with and experienced the tension of the fact that God is able to heal, but in this lifetime doesn't always do so. 
He had some malady. We're not sure what it was. It's called a thorn in the flesh in the New Testament, some way that he was suffering. He prayed for God three times to heal him. Paul had seen miracles. Paul had seen lots of miracles. I mean, one of his handkerchiefs was passed around. When people touched it, they got healed. He knew what God could do. He wasn't surprised by that. He seemed one somewhat surprised when he wasn't healed. Prayed three times in earnestness. Jesus said to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. God chose in his infinite wisdom, in the mystery of who he is and what he does, in the tension of this in-between, not to heal Paul at that time. Many of us have experienced that. But he said something wonderful to Paul. He said, Paul, you may not be physically healed in this lifetime, but my grace is sufficient for you in this lifetime. I will sustain you. Sometimes Christ heals us. Sometimes he sustains us. Both are miracles of God's love. Both are demonstrations of who Jesus is. I don't think it was surprising that he was able to heal in this way, nor that he does it today. He does. But I think if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of the multitude spoken of in verse 1, it says a great multitude was following Jesus. I think we wouldn't be surprised necessarily at the fact that Jesus could heal. I think we would be surprised at the fact at who Jesus chose to heal. At who Jesus chose to heal. Remember this whole section of Matthew is this discovery that in Christ, God's blessing has come to the unexpected and the undeserving. Remember the theme statement of the Sermon on the Mount? It was Matthew 5, 3, where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, in Christ, God's blessing and healing and restoration and redemption and kingdom reality and power has come to the unexpected and the undeserving, the poor in spirit. And now these healings are a demonstration of what Jesus was teaching in that sermon. And the slave and the leper not the mother-in-law, she's cool, but the slave and the leper would have been, if we can put ourselves in the shoes of the original Jewish audience here, quite unexpected and from our perspective, maybe undeserving of this blessing of God. The centurion had a slave. A centurion was a commander of Roman soldiers and Rome was the evil oppressor. A centurion... That's exactly the kind of guy that the multitudes wanted Jesus to deal with. Jesus, if your kingdom is really coming, then deal with the Romans. Deal with the centurions. Deal with the oppressors. Deal with this unjust power in the land that is dominating over us. And yet the centurion comes to Jesus and he comes to Jesus with great faith a faith that Jesus hadn't even seen among the multitudes of Israel. And Jesus intends to do something good for him. And not just him, but his slave. 
And during the broader sort of sense of the Roman culture that time, slaves were nothing. Slaves were viewed as tools. If you read about slaves in the Roman culture, oftentimes when slaves got sick, they were thrown out on the trash pile to suffer and die. The tool was broken. I'll get a new one. This was for sure some unusual concern that this Roman centurion was showing for his slave. But slaves were, whether it was the Roman culture or the Jewish culture, slaves were at the bottom rung. They were at the, the bottom of the social pile. And this Roman centurion, the powerful oppressor, the enemy in the eyes of the multitude following Jesus, comes and asks this thing for the slave, the nobody in the eyes of those who are following Jesus. And Jesus was going to do something. He was going to bring the blessing of God to the unexpected and the undeserving. But I think what they may have marveled at more was the case of the leper. It's hard for us to imagine what leprosy was like in those times. If you want to imagine what it's like now, you can Google leprosy and look at Google images. It'll give you a pretty vivid view of what that looks like. Some physicians have called it a painless hell because what it actually does is destroys the nerve endings in your body so that you can't feel anything. You can't tell if you're gripping a tool so tightly that it's cutting your fingers off. You can't tell if you've stepped in a pile of hot coals with your feet. You can't tell if something is gnawing on your ear in the middle of the night. That's why lepers would lose parts of their body. But I think that the physical reality of it was nothing compared to the social and religious reality of it. It was an incurable disease during the time of Jesus and before that in the Old Testament. And it was a horror and it was a fear in the land. And God at one time, way back in the giving of the law, looking to do something good for his people to protect them from the effects of disease was giving them some understanding how to live with it. But God's good thing, as it often does in our world, had some really hard social and religious implications. Like what it said way back in Leviticus about how to deal with the leper and this disease. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn. In other words, he's going to be identified by not not looking good. And the hair on his head shall be uncovered. No hat, no hairdos. And he shall cover his mustache, meaning his mouth, and cry, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Hard for us to imagine the implications of that in our culture. But in that culture, when that was given to the Jews in a culture that was oriented around their religious life toward God, this was a death sentence beyond the physical reality of it. They were removed from the community. The moment they were identified as having leprosy, they had to remove themselves and go outside the camp. There was no final hug with the wife. There was no last minute kisses with the kids. Immediately they were banished outside the camp. And leprosy was incurable, so it wasn't like they were going to be outside the camp for a week or something. This was a lifetime sentence. And they were unclean. 
They couldn't come in contact with anybody. And so the rabbis begin to add law to law in their mind. And the rabbis made it illegal to even greet a leper. How could you and why would you anyway? I mean, what if, what if you got it and the same thing befell you? Nobody wanted that to happen. And so when the leper came anywhere near people, he had to cover his mouth and yell, unclean, unclean, I am unclean. Unclean was another way of talking about removed from a life that was centered on God. They were unclean. They couldn't approach where God was in that economy, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the temple, the synagogue. They couldn't go to those places. They couldn't experience God. They didn't get to experience family. They didn't get to experience community. They didn't get to experience culture. They couldn't even feel them own, their own selves. They were in an isolated sort of hell. And the religious powers of the day only made it worse. One rabbi was quoted during the time of Jesus as saying, when I see a leper, I throw rocks at him to make sure he doesn't come near me. These were the so-called representatives of God. The rabbinical law was if lepers were upwind from you, that is stay 150 yards away. The Jewish historian Josephus summarizes the situation well when he says, well, for lepers, it's as if they were dead. Can you imagine the humiliation? Unclean, unclean. The isolation. The feeling of standing over some village on some hill looking down and there's your kids running in the streets and your wife going to the well and the whole community going to meet with God in the tabernacle and There you are, outside of all of it. I think Jesus did something here that would have surprised everyone. He reached out and he touched the leper. How long had it been since anybody had touched this man? And he was a desperate man. He pushed his way through the crowd, through the multitude. They would have been horrified and running and shrieking and pulling back and saying, ew, run, leper. And he was a desperate man. He went and he fell at the feet of Jesus. And he said, if you are willing. Jesus could have just said a word like he did for the slave. Jesus could have just said a word like he did for Lazarus, come forth from the grave and he was resurrected from the dead. He didn't just say a word. Jesus, with the compassion and the love of God, reached out and touched the man. And it says, he was cleansed. It's interesting that it uses the word cleansed rather than healed. And the New Testament, as it pertains to lepers, bifurcates between the two. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples this when they went on a mission trip. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Because again, they were declared unclean. Not fit to be in the community. Not able to be a part of the worship of God. And what this was, was a restoration a renewing, a bringing back in those who were humiliated, isolated, far off. A cleansing. 
of the unexpected and the undeserving in the eyes of all the people. And what this is, is a signpost that reminds us of something important. That before God, in our sin, we too are the leper. Leprosy becomes a metaphor for, a picture for in Scripture, sin. And in our sin before God, we were like the leper. Sin does something real to us. We don't don't feel right. Sin does something real to our community and relationships, and they don't function right. Sin does something real in our relationship with God. It has broken our relationship with God. So we, in truth, are isolated, alienated, far off, and excluded from the life of God in our sin. And unless Jesus has touched us, we too are lepers. And we too are slaves. For the Bible says that we were enslaved to sin. That there was nothing that we could do to free ourselves. That we were under the penalty to be sure, but we were also under the power and the persuasion of sin. That we too were slaves. And unless Jesus would fix us and heal us, then we had no hope. Here we are in the story. We're not just the multitude surprised at God's blessing coming to the unexpected and the undeserving. We're not just there shrieking, oh, what about the leper? We are the leper. We are the slave. But Christ has come. And with a word, he has set us free. And with a touch, he has made us clean. And this happens when we put faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us in his death and his resurrection. We were lepers in our sin. We have been cleansed by the work of Jesus Christ. We were slaves to sin. We have been set free. Now Matthew talks about physical healing here in in verse 17 where we talked about that he carried our infirmities and our diseases. But Peter applies the same principle to our spiritual healing. And it's true for both, 1 Peter chapter 2. And he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Matthew applies it physically. Peter's applying it spiritually. Both are true. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. We don't often realize the degree to which we have been cleansed. Look what it says in Corinthians. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves, or greedy people, are drunkards, or are abusive, and cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And which one of us is not in that list? Which one of us is not in that list? 
Our sin before God had us alienated, broken, removed, isolated in the reality of it. But look at verse 11. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. There's the same word. But you were cleansed like lepers. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Notice how it happened. It was purely a work of God on our behalf. The leper did nothing to cleanse himself. There was no ritual that he had to go through. He didn't muster it up somehow. He didn't, he didn't, it was Jesus reached out and touched him. He merely came to Jesus and said, Jesus, only you can do this. In the same way, there's nothing we could do about our leprosy before God in our sin lest Christ touch us by putting faith in him. And when we do, we are cleansed. Bible says that we are washed white as snow, sins removed as far as the east is from the west, buried in the deepest sea. We are made brand new. Though our sins were like scarlet, they are washed white as snow. But you were cleansed. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. We weren't just lepers, though. We were slaves. Look at this passage from Romans. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. Thank God. Oh, the verse says it. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. It's not surprising to me that Jesus can heal a leper, cleanse a leper, or heal a slave. It is gloriously, wonderfully astounding and astonishing that he has cleansed we who are lepers, us who are lepers, and freed us who are slaves by his finished work on the cross. Now I want us to put ourselves back in the story. I want us to go back to the multitude. We are the leper, we are the slave. I want us to think from the perspective of the multitude now, now that they just saw a leper cleansed, how would they expect that leper to live? Wouldn't they think that since Jesus touched him and he was made clean, that everything would be different for him now? Wouldn't it be right if we were there in the multitude and we watched? I mean, the last thing that we would assume is that that former leper would go back to living like a leper. That wouldn't make any sense. He's just touched by Jesus and he's cleansed. And hey, bro, where are you going? Well, I'm going back outside the camp by myself forever. No, dude, you're cleansed. Don't live like a leper. You've been touched by Jesus and brought into a different reality. You can live in a different way now. Jesus clues him on that when he says, listen, don't worry about going and telling everybody. You go right to the temple of God and get yourself worshiping again. Offer the sacrifice for a leper who has been cleansed. You go right back into the worship presence and community of God. Don't go back to your leper house. Don't go back into isolation. 
Don't go back into those old ways. You have been made clean. And what of a slave? What if we were to witness a centurion slave who it seems was at death's door, paralyzed with great pain? Jesus healed him with a word and now he's been given a second chance at life. Wouldn't we imagine that life would look different for the slave? Oh sure, his circumstances probably didn't change. He was probably still a slave. But don't you think some way because of his experience with Jesus that he was able to transcend mere circumstances? I mean, I was at death's door. I was dead and I have been given a second chance in new life. Wouldn't we, if we were in the crowd, think, yeah, that slave is going to be different, man. He was healed by the words of Christ. Wouldn't you think then that for we who have been touched and made clean, who have received the word of God, and been healed and brought back from death's doorstep, so to speak, and given a second chance. Wouldn't you think then that we would no longer live like slaves and lepers? Romans says this. Next slide. Sin is no oh no the other romans brother no no that's right yeah that's the one so no problem you should consider so in light of the gospel in light of the fact that we have been set free you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to god through jesus christ so what does that look like don't let sin control the way you live do not give in to sinful desires that's what it looks like to no longer live as a slave. Wouldn't you think that that slave in some way, though maybe his circumstances never change, in some way there would be a difference, there would be a transcendence? I mean, he was dead almost and now he's alive. This is what it looks like to be the slave who has been set free from the power of sin. Don't let sin control the way you live. You know why we sin? We let sin control the way that we live. Do you know why we give in so often? Because we give in. This says that we're no longer slaves to sin, that we can actually not let it control us and we don't have to give in to sinful desires. Maybe it takes a little Holy Spirit chutzpah. Just hawked up a loogie. Holy Spirit chutzpah to actually stand firm and say, no, 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 I, I was that slave to sin, but I have been set free, so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to consider myself dead. I'm not going to let it rule me anymore. Sometimes sin rules in the life of the Christian because we let it stand firm and resist by the power of the Holy Ghost who is in us, by the power of the resurrected Christ who is our life and in whom we live. We have been set free. Sometimes we find that we just give in so quickly because we just give in and we don't experience the power of God and we wonder why. Because we never try to stand in the power of God. We don't hold on to the promises and stand firm and stand firm in this new identity and this true reality that I'm no longer a slave to sin. The text is saying, don't go back and act like a slave. You're now a son. You're now a daughter. 
If there's any slavery in your life, it's a different kind of slavery. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Ephesians has a consonant idea when it says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy. Christ has set you free. Christ has cleansed you. Walk in a way that's worthy of that. Verse 22 says that in reference to your former manner of life, the way slaves and lepers live, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We have new life. We have new identity. We are new beings in Christ. Behold, if any man or woman is in Christ, they are a new creation. And as new creations, we have been recreated in righteousness and in holiness and in truth. So we don't have to live like slaves anymore. We don't have to live like lepers anymore. Sometimes, though, we need to really actually give ourselves to being renewed in the spirit of our mind and putting on the new self. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like pursuing God and who he is in his truth. That sounds like believing and consuming less of the messages and the lies of the world and believing and consuming more of the truth and the love of God. Being renewed in my mind. Maybe, maybe you know what that means for you. Maybe that means less time on the internet, more time in the Bible. Being renewed in our mind, putting on the new self every day, stepping into the true identity of who we are in Christ. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm the beloved of God. I'm not a leper. I'm not alienated. I've been cleansed and brought near. Put on the new self. Stand in that and who you are in Jesus. And Colossians 3 tells us this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. NASB says, set your mind on things above, where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Wouldn't you think that that centurion slave, though maybe his circumstances never changed, maybe he was a slave till the day of his death, don't you think the fact of what Jesus did in his life would have allowed him to just transcend his circumstances a little bit, look to something more wonderful? That's what this text is telling us to do. Don't get caught up just in the world and the things of the world and all the junk that happens here. Set your heart, your mind, your affections, your attention on Christ and who he is. The fact that he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God in glory, ruling and reigning. Put your mind on these things. Because Jesus is our real life. And these things are real. 
Because Christ became for us that slave that we might be set free. Remember what it says in Philippians? Look what it says back in Philippians. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. We no longer have to live as slaves because Christ became a slave for us and died in our stead on the cross. And if Christ took our place there, there's no place in slavery for you. You're a son and a daughter who's been set free. You know why we're no longer that leprous picture of sin? Because Jesus himself became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So maybe you're here today and you hear this truth, but you still feel like a leper. Maybe your sin has you numb to what God has for you. Can't even feel it. Maybe your sin has... you feeling alienated and far off from God. Jesus has come near to us. Come to Christ today and say, are you willing? He's willing. Maybe you just need a touch from God today. Jesus, just in some area of your life, you just need a fresh touch from God. Jesus, touch me. Maybe there's little areas that look like leprosy. Maybe there's areas of enslavement. Jesus, by your word, set me free. Maybe it feels like your sin really has you enslaved. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Christ has set you free. And you are free indeed. But you know what? Go hard after God today. Go hard after God. We're so lazy in our Christianity. Sometimes, well, I was a leper and now I'm cleansed. Cool. I was a slave and now I'm free. Cool. But then we go back and we start to live like lepers and slaves. You're not a leper. You're not a slave. You're a son and a daughter and a free person in Christ. So go hard after Jesus. We're going to move into a time of worship right now. This is not time to go hang out in the hallway. It's not time to go to lunch early. This is not time to think about yourself. Or this is time to go hard after Jesus. You need a touch from God, areas where you're feeling like a leper, areas where you're feeling enslaved. Go hard after God. What did the leper do? The leper ran to Jesus and fell at his feet. Come and get at the feet of Jesus, so to speak. Come and get on your face before the Lord. Kneel before the Lord. Come and take the Lord's Supper. I'll tell you what the leper and the slave never were again. They were never again passive spectators as to who Jesus was and what he could do. They become active, transformed participants. That's who we're meant to be, church. So we begin to worship, go hard after Jesus. I wish we prayed. Prayer team will be up here. Maybe you need physical healing today. Maybe you're like, whoa, Britt, what'd you do with that text? It was actually about physical healing. Sick, maybe you need physical healing. Come and ask the prayer team to pray for you. 
any touch that you need from God. Go hard after the Lord. He's good. If the text teaches us anything, Jesus is good and he's all powerful and he's bigger than the worst thing in our lives and he's near to us and he wants to touch us today. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. We do believe that you are near to us. You're present in your church when we gather. Help us as your church, your sheep, your sons and daughters to draw near to you, to be present to you. You know the needs of our lives, Lord. You, you know where we need a touch. You know where we need a fresh cleansing. You know where we feel enslaved. So meet us as we pursue you, Lord. Teach us to pray. I pray for the prayer team who will be asked to, to pray for big things today, physical healing and emotional and spiritual healing and other stuff. Give them faith and teach them how to pray. Set us free as a body to pray for each other. Maybe there's someone in here we know they need prayer for healing. Maybe we'll just walk right up to them and start to pray for them as someone did for me at first service. Teach us to go hard after you, Jesus. If this is really who you are and you're really this good, we bow before you, the God of all things, and say together that all of our hope is in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.